Welcome to the Avail Leadership Podcast, where our goal is to help you take your leadership to the next level. My name is Virgil Sierra, and today we're going to be listening to a session we had with Bishop Courtney McBath, a pastor, author, and leadership expert who joins us from Virginia. McBath serves as the senior pastor of Calvary Revival Church, and he also mentors leaders from around the nation. Today, he's sharing with us about his new book, 4C Leadership, Lessons Learned from the COVID Crisis. You won't want to miss out on the valuable insights and the practical advice he has for leaders in the midst of crisis. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our Avail Leadership Podcast As always, it is a blessing to connect with everybody. My name is Virgil Sierra. I'm the Avail Leadership Media Host, and uh, I'm also the lead pastor of Vertical Church, also known as Iglesia Vertical in South Florida, where we are one church, two languages. And uh, Avail Leadership is a brand for the Christian leader. We develop resources every month, books, studies, courses, videos, teachings, articles, even the Avail Journal, uh, magazine style. Uh, Our aim is to produce practical, relevant resources to help you become a better leader, whether it's uh, in the marketplace, in business, whether it's in ministry and church. Our hope is to add value to each and every one of you who connect with Avail. Today, I'm going to have the honor of connecting with uh, well-known pastor, coach, and author, Courtney McBath. We're going to be talking leadership and ministry regarding his new book, 4C Leadership, Lessons Learned from the COVID Virus. Uh, Man, we're honored that all of you leaders would take time to connect with us here. Uh, In addition to getting to know uh, Bishop Courtney McBath a little bit better, uh, later on in the podcast, we're going to be sharing some good details about how you can get your hands on this amazing book, 4C Leadership. I'm pretty confident that each and every one of us could benefit from learning these important lessons from the COVID virus as they have been inspired in Courtney McBath's heart. And so without further ado, I think it's time to get into this conversation. I'm excited, everybody, to uh, jump in into this amazing time of teaching and also Q&A with Courtney McBath. I had the opportunity of meeting Courtney uh, and his lovely wife, Janine, at a pastor's retreat in Puerto Rico. Uh, He is the husband of Janine, father of four sons and a daughter and some grandchildren as well. He's the senior founding pastor of Calvary Revival Church in Norfolk, Virginia, which is a thriving church with thousands of members. He is also the leader and founder of Calvary Leadership Network. As I mentioned before, he's a teacher, a mentor, a coach, a global pastor. Courtney's heart is to educate and encourage leaders globally. He's already doing that in my life. Currently, uh, Courtney leads Uh, pastors in 10 nations on five continents and is committed to coaching pastors for life. And so he's the man of the hour, Bishop Courtney McBath. We are excited and honored to have you here and to hear about your new book, 4C Leadership. Thanks for joining us. Man, it is such an honor to be with you, Virgil. We had so much fun when we first met (laughs) and uh, I just fell for you and your wife and, uh, and the ministry you guys have. 
So to get this chance to be with you again, even though it's, even though we're not in the same room, um, we're, we're practicing physical distance, but we are spiritually connected, and uh, we're we're just happy to be with you. Um, you know, this book is is different for me. It's the, it's the third or fourth one that I've written, but this one was kind of inspired, just kind of downloaded. I, you know, I said, hey, I think I've got something that I need to get out there. Um, maybe. Bef- at least when this thing is all over, uh, it won't come out like six months, a year after the, th- after the thing is done, but close on the heels of it. And so my instructions were, the only way that's going to happen, you have to write a chapter every day. And so, so for the next 14 days, the Lord just downloaded these 12 chapters into my spirit. And I wrote them and I wrote everything in about 10, 10 to 14 days of the basic manuscript. It's not long. Uh, it's not complex. Uh, but it it talks about the issues of context, communication, collaboration, and contingency, and how you learn lessons when you're in warfare, like a pandemic or social injustice. When you're in real situations, you're not practicing leadership. You got to actually do it. And so it's when leadership is not sexy, it's real. It's in the, it's, it's on the front line, it's in the trenches, it's dirty, you know, it's uh, it's the real deal leadership. It's that, part, it's that part, it's that part of leadership that nobody tells you about because everybody always thinks, oh, the leader, the leader, it's that real nitty gritty. Exactly. That's exactly right, sir. And so, so, so for me, it was amazing because I believe that struggle and pandemics and crises are, are the breeding ground of real leaders. You know, it's not by accident that so many great leaders of nations were also military leaders as well. That's not, uh, that's not an accident. There are things that you learn when you actually, when people's lives are at stake that uh, you can't learn any other way. And uh, so that's kind of what happened to me with this book. And uh, I've just been amazed at how accepted it's been so far. And uh, I'm just glad that you're giving me a chance to talk about it a little bit today. A hundred percent. You know, I think, I think uh, as I was delving into the book myself, I just realized, wow, this is really, really good. A- aside from, you know, the crisis that we may be in, I think no matter when somebody picks this up, uh, they're going to be blessed by it. So I, I just want to, Thank you, uh, Courtney, for, for just allowing, you know, God to speak to your heart. And, and as a leader, as a pastor, you know, as a person who is making a difference in the community, um, I, th- I think what you bring in this book is easy to digest for any person. So whether it's a new, uh, an up and coming leader, uh, or it's a seasoned veteran leader, I think we can all really uh, get into it with you and, 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 and learn. Again, we are talking about uh, the book 4C Leadership, Lessons Learned from the COVID Crisis. Um, um, Courtney, I, I, I'd like to get into some Q&A with you about the book. Let's do it. You know, um, um, actually, and before we jumped in the Q&A, you know, uh, I just said a little bit, but who, who's, your, who's on your heart for this book? Who, who's your uh, target? Okay, this, this is a great question because this thing has been zooming around in my head, the titleless leader. Oh, wow. So, so, so here's the deal. I think that in order for us to be able to handle the revival that God's going to send, um, if not in the lifetime of my ministry, at least in the lifetime of yours, mm. um, I think it's going to take a whole lot of leaders that haven't yet accepted their call yet. 
They don't have a title right now, but they need to get prepared quick, fast, and in a hurry. And so I think there's an army like Ezekiel 37. I think there's a valley of dry bones. There's an army that God's raising up. So when I wrote it, I did have in mind these principles that would help leaders who exist today. But I also felt like there was a target toward potential leaders so that the book is written in such a way that you don't have to have had a lot of leadership um, experience in order to take this and apply it wherever you are, in your house, at work, at school, um, in the fine arts, in government, business, wherever. So I, I felt like it's going to it's somewhat far reaching uh, in terms of who it could personally touch. I love it. I love that. I love the way you put that for the titleless leader, because we all know that you can have a title and not really be leading. Right. And so that's, that's really, really good. And, and before I get to question number one here, or let's make this question a, can you just hit on those four C's? What are the four C's of four C leadership, which obviously are the focus of this book for everybody who's listening. Cause I know they're going to get hooked as soon as we start getting into the material. The first C is context. It basically speaks of the need to know your surroundings, so uh, know uh, who you're reaching, who you're trying to reach, who you're trying to sell your product to, who you want to as a client, because context then guides yeah. everything. You know, there, Jesus made decisions based on context. You know, he, he got in a context where they didn't believe very much. He didn't do very much. So that was the, the context. So Jesus was guided by context and certainly the rest of us, not Jesus's, are certainly <laughs> going to be guided by that. So context is the first step. And then the next one is communication. Communication, not in the sense of who's a great writer or who's a great orator, but who actually can discover the people that they want to get a message across to and make the message palatable so that those people actually understand what it is they're saying and can receive it. it one of the things I learned in the crisis was that if, I, if people were hungry, which a lot of people were uh, and still are, if they were hungry and I needed to, my role was to feed them, then they didn't need a pretty message. They needed an effective message. They mm. got the information to them about what I had and how they could get it. And so I wasn't trying to be impressive. I was trying to make sure people got fed. It changed the way I saw communication. Uh, the third one is collaboration. For many people, that will be the most life-changing one because one of the things that a crisis does is it immediately reveals your shortcomings, your deficits, the things that you're not able to do. Lots of times in leadership, we talk about what we can do, but, but I think there's a need for a conversation about what we may not be able to do and the need then to connect other people so that it gets, it gets done. Um, so collaboration was a real big key for, for me. Because I suddenly realized, uh, I'll make this, a similar reference. One of the specific things was not just food insecurity, but food insecurity among seniors. Hmm. So, so I decided that I was going to try to feed the seniors across, um, I guess, a hundred mile radius. Wow. Uh, so way out in the central part of our state, going that way all the way to the eastern shore. Uh, Courtney, you're not going to be able to do that by yourself. <laughs> you're going to need other people to help you out. So I had a Catholic priest and an Episcopalian priest and some Baptist guys and all collaborated because we could do more together than we could separately. And then the final one was contingency. This was the one that I had to, I, I'll have to help spiritual people 
understand because somehow they think contingency planning is a really carnal, worldly thing to do. <laughs> um, but I point out to them that the writer of Proverbs says that many are the plans that are in a man's heart or a woman's heart, but the purpose of the Lord, his plan is the one that prevails. So that means God already says, you'll probably start out with three or four plans, uh, at least three of them, if you got four, at least three won't work. The fourth one wow. is the plan, is the purpose of the Lord. And that's, that's okay. That's contingency thought. What do I do if this plan doesn't work? Or what do I do if things happen really good and I just wasn't expecting 3,000 people to get saved this weekend? <laughs> you know, what, what, do I have a contingency plan for that? I, every leader, every pastor is an interim pastor. So do we have a contingency plan for when that, when she or he is no longer the leader, hmm. what will we do? So, so one of the things crisis teaches you is that if you're going to be successful, you've got to have contingency plans because you're going to have some plans that are not going to work. And if that's all you got, then you're in deep trouble. So that's, so that's the four C's. It's context, it's communication, collaboration, and contingency. So good. So good. I want to get into some questions here, uh, obviously about the book and about your experience and, and feel free to add in any, any, any examples or, or, or stories that you have, you know, that can emphasize it. Uh, I love what I'm hearing. There's a lot of C's here because we're talking about, especially in crisis, we need to, we need to think about context. I love that chapter, by the way. Uh, we need to think about communication, collaboration, and contingency. Here's the first question. Uh, Courtney, what practical tips would you give to leaders who want to increase, here's another C, their capacity. <laughs> For a Courtney, C's are not a problem. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in the C's, so they're, they're, they're fine with me. So, so let's talk capacity for a moment, practical tips for capacity. I think, Virgil, the first thing that we do is we improve our friendship with God. I, I think because that is so assumed that oftentimes we don't address it. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make sure that we say, this is my friendship with God. If I'm going to improve on capacity, then that's one of the things that I have to do. Second one is then I have to expose myself to other leaders and, uh, and, and read and get information because information also improves capacity. But then it doesn't do much good to do all that, but then you don't exercise those things. Mm -hmm. So then there has to be then, the exercise of the gift. So if a leader is going to have capacity, he's got to lead, he's got to do some things, he's got to make some things happen. And in the process, I think then capacity increases as a result. And one that I like, but that's because I make a lot of mistakes, the ability to bounce back when you, do, <laughs> when you fail or when you do something that wasn't exactly what you wanted to do. I think every time I bounce back, one of my mentors, John Maxwell, uh, wrote a book called Failing Forward. And so one of the things that I've learned is that it's not the failure, it's how much far further forward did you mm. go when you failed. And if I learned from it, then I made steps forward. And so I think those are some of the practical steps for kind of increasing capacity. That's great advice. And I think, I think we, are, we are wise uh, to hear from uh, a leader and pastor and a coach who's been doing this for, for many years, Courtney, and, and, you know, you look young, but I know there's some, there's some mileage in ministry and there's some uh, experience that you have had that many of us, 
you know, uh, m whether it's younger leaders or like you said, titleless leaders that can really grasp onto this. I love that. Uh, for those of you, you know, on this podcast, we're talking with Courtney McBath about his book, 4C Leadership which are lessons learned from the COVID crisis. And, um, and we, we're just talking a little bit about what's on his heart and, and from his experience. Here's the next question, Courtney. Do you think trust can be restored in places where it has previously been broken? If so, what are some ways this can happen? Well, you know, one of the things that happened a year or so before I wrote the book, I started reading a book by Stephen M. R. Covey called The Speed of Trust. One of the things that uh, Covey mentioned in the speed of trust is that one of the myths of, about trust is that you, can, that you can't restore it once it's broken. Now, a lot of people feel that way. You know, their, their attitude is, well, hey, what do I do? I don't have it. It's been lost. Gone. But that's not true. It actually, trust can actually be restored. Uh, those of us who, who are married, we certainly hope it can because we certainly do dumb things that, you know, we have to come back and recover from and get trust restored. If we lead people, then there are times that uh, we have to get trust must be restored for people. So trust certainly can be restored. And I think part of the steps for the restoration of trust for leaders is one, taking responsibility. One of the things that I think just causes mistrust to propagate is when leaders won't take responsibility and are constantly blaming other people for everything that happens. That's a real issue. Hmm. So I think once we take responsibility, that restores trust. Then once we start to do what we say we're going to do, that is, it doesn't necessarily happen quickly, but trust is, is restored. Um, and then I think as we share with people and they hear truth from us and facts from us, especially in crisis, people really need to hear the truth. Not my, not my made up story about how great I am, but mm. they need the truth. And because people need that so that they can trust because they're already nervous. And so this really helps them in the process of restoring trust. So good. So good. You know, and I think as, as I'm hearing you talk, I think that um, it is possible as a leader, you know, or as somebody who's kind of has responsibilities to feel sometimes, man, I messed up. I'm not going to be able to get that back, you know. Um, so this is very, very helpful and practical advice. Um, one thing that I admire about you, Courtney, uh, every interaction I've had with you, I really admire, um, despite your experience and your your stature spiritually as a pastor, if I can say it that way, um, you've always come off uh, with true humility. And I really appreciate that because I've been around leaders and people and pastors who don't necessarily come off that way. So here's the next question. Uh, how have you developed your own sense of humility and what advice would you give leaders who recognize that they need more humility? Hmm. Well, you know, like you said earlier, um, this, I've, I've got a lot of, a lot of worn tread on these tires. Uh, <laughs> I've been at this 47 years and, um, and 47 years gives you a chance. Someone said, man, that's a lot of success. Hell yeah. It's a lot of failure too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's one of the things you know about every, every home run King, every, uh, every guy that's thrown the most, uh, completed passes, everybody who has the most three pointers are also the guys who've missed yes. the most thrown the mm -hmm. most interceptions and struck out the most. 
<laughs> because yep. you don't win without trying. So I, I think the beauty of it is, is if you can look at how many you struck out, I hit 50 home runs, but I struck out 150 times hitting hmm. those 50 home runs. As long as you can see the balance between the strikeouts and the home runs, that in itself keeps you humble because yeah. you know that, you know, 67% of the time I strike out. So it so what I I it shows me my own my own flaws and my own humility. So I think to have a real healthy view about your strikeout, I think helps create humility. And then for me, Verge, I've often said to people, I just can't figure out what people have to be proud of, especially people in ministry, because it's like, what did you do that it was actually you? <laughs> I mean, other than the dumb stuff, but so true. I mean, outside the dumb stuff, I mean, so if people come to faith and so your church grows, uh, excuse me, that wasn't you. You just were used to help the process. So I think a healthy view then of who our real resource is also helps to, to build uh, a sense of humility. And then I think the final one, Virgil, is a heart to want to pull people close to you also uh, helps you create a heart of humility because nobody really wants to be around an egotistical person. So mm. if you have any desire to add value to people or to help people on the, in their journey, then you want to keep yourself in the right in the right space because nobody nobody likes a jerk. It's it's a spiritual principle. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's the eleventh commandment: Thou shalt not be a jerk. And <laughs> so, so is that, so is that King James or NIV? That's in all of them. That's even in the New Living Translation. So, so there, it's in all of them. So, so I, I'm, I, I just kind of feel that way about what we do. Is that one of the things that that keeps me? Because um, you know what humility really is. It's just a real honest view of yourself. It's not saying I'm lower. It's not saying I'm higher. It's saying this is all I am at my very best. So I think that that helps me to keep that. I remember my failures. I remember who my source is and I remember who I want to touch and all of that kind of works together. That's so good. And I think that's especially good for both young leaders uh, and also for leaders who are stepping into uh, new levels and seasons of growth and influence. Uh, I think that's such an important reminder um, because it's so easy to fall in the trap of thinking, wow, look, look what I did. Look how good I am. And I think that's a great point. Now that that's, you just took us a little bit internally looking in now. Now I want to ask a question kind of connected to your, your teaching as well in the book four C leadership. Um, when you're, so you talked about collaboration, that's one of the C's when you're seeking leaders with whom to collaborate, what characteristics, what personality traits, what is it that you're looking for? for those people that you want to collaborate with? Because I'm sure that there's some people who are great to work with and then some people maybe aren't, aren't so great to work with. What's your advice on this? Okay, so now I'm going, to use a, I'm going to use a word that's overused, especially during crisis. And so I'm going to leave it up to you to make me take that word apart. <laughs> but you look for authentic people. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it, you know, you got to have people that are real. Um, I wasn't necessarily, in my collaboration efforts, I'm not even necessarily looking at somebody for somebody who believes everything the same way I do. Because mm. I'd actually rather have an authentic person who didn't have all the exact same worldview as opposed to an inauthentic person who just sees everything just like I do and reads wow. the book just like I read it. Because I found that authenticity 
is is greater common ground for working together than mm. necessarily totally shared beliefs. You know, mm. there there's some fundamentals that I, I'm going to kind of need you to believe. But then beyond yeah. that, we have so many different liturgical styles and worship styles and and those kind of things that, and sacraments and all. And I found that uh, since a lot of our collaboration is not inside the church, but it's in the community, hmm. that finding authentic people is what really makes is what really makes the difference. So I, I start I start with authenticity, and then I and then competency. You know, people who are actually good at what they at what yeah. they do is is, is helpful, uh, and then and then look for people who who are dependable that they do what they say they're going mm. to do. Um, one of the things I've discussed in the book, this next level of collaboration is you want to look for people who have a similar, some similar goals um, because if the goals are similar, it aligns you with them and you can work towards some things and people who may have different strengths than you have. What you don't want to do is what oftentimes leaders unfortunately do is get everybody in the room who's just like them. Um, but you want people who are different than you, who have different strengths, so, so that you cover more ground. If not, it's no need to, to co-labor if it's going to be just like one person doing, just a lot of people doing the exact same thing. Then that kind of kills the whole co-laboring uh, process. So good. I love that. I'm, I'm trying to take notes here as you're talking, um, because this is great advice on who, like who to look, what to look for in those people you're collaborating with, authenticity, uh, competency, dependable, diversification of skills so we can kind of reach out more. It's funny because as you're talking about those things, uh, it's things that we also see in, in, in the character of Jesus. He was authentic. Yeah. He was definitely competent. He, <laughs> he, he yeah. does what oh, he yeah. says he's going to do. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think that the answer is not necessarily somebody who believes and thinks the same way as I do. Uh, although that's not a limiting factor, it's more the authenticity right. and, and even, even the kind of, as you were saying, just the willingness, the, the heart, good stuff. I love this. Hey, I think, uh, Courtney, everybody, the further you get in the book, in the C's, because we're talking about the four C leadership lessons learned from the COVID crisis, every C gets more kind of, uh, exciting as you go on, because you start realizing, wow, this is, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it's not natural. Like you, you have to think about it. And I think that the way that you put it in the book, it makes it practical. It makes it reachable, whether, whether you're a new leader or whether you're a seasoned leader. This is so good. I have another question. You ready to move on? Next question. Yes, Here we go. Whenever let's, let's see. How would you suggest leaders promote and model collaboration for their teams? How can we encourage those that we lead to seek out new partnerships and new connections? Well, you know what, Virg, I think this one is just doing it. I think when my team sees me collaborating with other leaders uh, who are senior leaders or senior pastors or senior business folks or whatever, I think the more they see me do it, that is the model for it. And what it does is my ability to trust other people to work with me encourages them to trust other people to work with them. Their collaboration may be more internal than external because of my particular role in the city or in our region. 
I may be found doing more uh, extra collaboration outside of the, the organization, but it will encourage my team members to do the same thing internally. And when the opportunity arises to go for it externally as well. So I think just doing it and then talking about it, rejoicing about it. Um, I don't I know sometimes we're as leaders, sometimes we do good things, but then we complain about them after we do them. <laughs> and nobody really wants to, if, if you really didn't enjoy it, I really don't want to follow your example and do something that, you know, that, that, that made you frustrated. So I've got to come out of my collaboration and man, this is amazing. I got together with so-and-so and so-and-so and this thing happened. I come back saying, man, oh my God, Lord, please never let me have to work with these guys again. So, you know, that, my team doesn't get very inspired by that. And I think we have to kind of be careful as leaders. If you let me just take this one step further, I think we have to model our words with people mm. because uh, I know you grew up as a, in, in a, in a pastor's house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's like, we always say to folks, when you go home from church, there's not an invisible shield between the back seat and the front seat mm-hmm. so that the grown people can say all kind of negative things about church and the kids in the back. Just, yep. I don't hear any of that. They hear all of that. Take yep. it all in. Absorb it, absorb it all. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, imagine what would have happened if, if, uh, if your dad or our spiritual fathers, mm. if, if they had been so negative about what they were doing, that it made us think, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I, I think part of the way we model collaboration on any level is by learning to be positive about the results. And even if everything doesn't turn out perfectly, there's still always something good that we can find. So good. You know, I, I find what you're saying is so true because A, if we want to be able to do more, we have to collaborate because no one person, no one organization, no one church, no one pastor, no one leader can do it all. So collaboration is key. And if we really want our team members, the leaders that are under us, the people that we're influencing to catch on to that, to embrace that, we have to not only model it, but we have to speak of it in a, in a positive light. Um, okay, so kind of connected to that. And, and you mentioned a little while ago, this concept, which is important of adding value. Can you provide everybody who's listening or watching some, some concrete ways that we can add value to others outside of our organization? I'm always going to be wanting to add value to those who are here next to me in my organization. But how do we, in a, in a practical way, add value to people outside of our organizations? Well, you know what? I think that principles can be applied in both spaces. So, um, so for those who may need a little bit more on adding value internally, this, this can help them too. One of the things that I do is I look for people who are doing great things and tell them what a great thing that they're doing. Mm. Um, so, so th- that always adds value to people when, because, you know, so often we know it as leaders that people can find so many things wrong with what we're doing mm-hmm. and, uh, and it seems they struggle to find anything good with it. And so for every leader, if you can find something good they're doing and let them know, boy, I appreciate this about you. I love what your church is doing in this. I love what you all are tackling over here. Just appreciate it so much. I think that that builds people. Studying other people and what they do and what's important to them, learning about them also always, uh, always adds 
value. One of my little uh, complaints about the American church is that oftentimes if we would learn to do the things at home that we teach people to do when they go to the mission field, we'd be a lot more effective at home. Hmm. When we send people to global mission, we say, go in there, encourage people, study <laughs> what they do, study their culture, study their language, just dive in and become a part. Don't try to impose your own whatever, but just we should just try applying a little <laughs> bit of that down the street, you know, since, since when you look, look at our, our neighborhoods and communities, they're very diverse too. You know, it's like you can walk around our neighborhoods and it's like walking around the world because you'll find folks from, from Latin America, from Africa, from, mm -hmm. from Europe, from Russia, from Asia, from wherever. And, uh, and you'll find people of different um, religious styles and learning about their style and, and say, man, I think it's beautiful that you guys do this. It's different from us. And, uh, and, and then finally, I think living by this. I don't love you in spite of our differences. I love you even more because we're different. Hmm. Uh, I, as if God made us like this, he must have seen something really beautiful in all these differences. And so when I want to add value to people externally, one of the things that I want them to know is I don't need you to become like me or change or say it like me or pray like me. I just, I love you for how you do it. And, uh, and I'm appreciative of, of the diversity. And all of that, I think, helps to add value to people uh, outside. And when you do that, it makes collaboration a whole lot easier when people feel appreciated by you. So good. You know, I, I'll speak for myself. I know that when people add value to me, I want to be around them more. <laughs> when, people, when people speak life into me or to, or to people that I love or to our, I, I'm like, okay, let's hang out, you know, let's, let's connect. And so I think if, if we're really intentional in that, um, like you're saying, Courtney, in, of, of outside of organizations, obviously we can do it internally. We, we must do it internally if we want to have a Absolutely. flourishing good healthy culture but this is a good way to to build bridges uh with uh organizations with people and and uh, those who are outside uh, i want to transition a little into the communication to the sea of communication here um i really enjoyed this part of the book as well because it just i think there's so much that sometimes we don't realize how important effective communication is so here, here we go why do you think internal communication often breaks down more than external communication? Okay. Because I think it's just like communication in our families and in our homes. Too much is taken for granted. Hmm. Um, I, I know that I'm going to have to be communicating at level 10 when I go outside of my church because I'm not necessarily known. They don't necessarily speak the same language. Vision may not be identical. Man, I got to really put it down. At home, <laughs> man, these guys, they know me. They get it. They understand. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're going to be cool no matter what. So I think there's a, there's a sense of um, familiarity mm -hmm. internally that oftentimes causes communication to, to break down. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it's almost like, how polite we may be with people that are outside the family and how impolite we may be with people who are in the family. So true. And uh, so that's where the breakdown is. Um, can I be polite and not be formal? Can I be careful with how I communicate internally and not make people feel like a guest or a visitor? I, 
I think so. I think there mm-hmm. is a way to do that within the context of our internal relationships. There's a way to do that where you still add value to people. You still make people feel loved. You still make people feel special. You know, when I walk in the room and there's staff in there, I want to find somebody in there who just needs me to say, you know what? This last video that you did for us was just crazy off the chart yeah. good. I just don't know how in the world you did that on the salary that I paid you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, you find ways, I think, to you, it takes a little more creativity. Yeah. And it's, it's like you said, it's not rocket science, but it's not natural either. That's yeah. a really wise statement. You're going to hear that again, and I'm, I might give you credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that. Hey, you know, you know, I think you're right. I think, I think, I think a word can, we can attach onto that answer is, is what you're saying is intentionality. It, it's, we know we can do it. Um, and sometimes we think thoughts. I heard, I heard somebody say once we think sometimes, but we need to, we need to say what we think. If I think that that was an amazing job, let me not just think it, let me actually go and say it. You know, let me not just have this internal opinion. Let me externalize it because now I'm going to add value. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to build up. Uh, uh, and, and you're so right with the whole comparison, how, you know, I know this, this probably has never happened to you in your marriage. It doesn't happen in my marriage. I, I've heard of husbands who maybe, you know, are rough or, or rough around the edges with, with the wife. And then she asks, well, why are you so nice with everybody else and not me? That doesn't, that doesn't happen to me, Courtney. It's never happened to me. Of course not. <laughs> we I'm tend sure. to, we, we, we tend to be uh, so polite and so correct with externally. And sometimes we, we lower our guard down and, and we, we, we make some mistakes Absolutely. internally. So good. Okay. Next question. This is good. We got, I, we got maybe two or three more questions uh, because I think people are leading in right now in this conversation. Okay, um, talking, continuing on with communication, what can communicators do to convey empathy to their audiences in authentic ways? Okay, now, uh, this is one of the ones I love. And, you know, of course, along with the COVID crisis has been the crisis of, of social injustice and mm-hmm. upheavals and all this that's going on nationally and globally that uh, was affecting us all. So I've been talking about empathy, uh, emotional and cognitive empathy. I've been looking at it from two sides. The emotional empathy, we get that from the word, weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. So we have the ability as humans, other mammals don't seem to have this ability. As humans, we have this ability to feel what other people feel and then to express that. Uh, And we had the greatest example in our Lord Mm because that's how we came to faith is because he was empathetic. He did not do anything to deserve what he got, but he cared about us. And so he put himself in our skin, literally put Mm -hmm. himself in our skin. He put himself in our shoes, literally. So from him, we learn that with, here's your word, intentionality, you can decide to be empathetic. I'm going to sit in their feelings. I'm going to, I may not ever be to say to them, I know exactly what you feel, but I'm going to, Think about this long enough to start to have some common sense of, wow, I may not even agree, but I can understand from their perspective why they would feel that way. So I think for communicators, you have to be able to say that, that I want to feel 
what you feel. I, I want a sense of so so if I have to listen to your story for a while, I'll do that because I want to empathize with where you are. And then I think communicators then can bring cognitive empathy, which is if emotional empathy is feeling what people feel, then cognitive empathy is bringing resources to help people in what they in what they feel. So uh, you lost a loved one, and I felt it, and I prayed for you, and I felt you know your pain because I've been there too. But then I also came by with a meal, so that so that you all wouldn't have to cook tonight. And mm. that'd be one less thing to worry about. That's cognitive empathy. So it's not just feeling what you feel, but it's trying to help so that you can be better where you are. So I think when a communicator understands that, he can, she can stand before people and it will literally ooze out of them if something has happened in their heart. It will come out in their words. Um, and I don't think it's, it's not hard to tell when you got it and when you don't. Mm. It's real easy for people to pick it up, but you gotta wanna have it. You gotta you gotta be intentional about about yeah. it and about showing it too. That's good. You know, I've I've heard I've heard it said, I think it applies. People don't care how much you know until so they, they know, know how much, much you care. care. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean and, and they can they can say that's worn out if they want, but it's about as true a statement as I've ever Heard. I think it started with Sunday school folks were teaching people that about Sunday school. I think is when that statement really won the place that was first used in church. <laughs> you know, they were you know they were reaching out to people and they said, "Listen, those people don't. You know, you can be brilliant, know all the lessons, all the verses, but nobody really cares how much you know till they know how much you care. It makes all the difference in the world." So good, so good. Uh, um, you know, I think I think one of the things that we need to communicate, especially to our teams and the people that we're leading is appreciation. And, uh, and one of the things that I think, um, and I know, I know this would help me any insight and advice you can give here because of the crisis that we're in, you know, uh, the, the lead leader, the, the lead pastor, the CEO might be wanting to express or communicate appreciation to, to staff and volunteers. Here's a question. How can organizations with small budgets or with maybe financial stress, like some may be feeling now, how can, how can organizations communicate appreciation to staff and volunteers with budget limitations? Hmm. Well, one of the things that our friend and mentor Sam Chan taught me is that it doesn't cost you anything to write a person a note. Mm. And he he taught me the value of the handwritten note. When someone actually sits down and writes, just wants you to know how much I appreciate you, and I'm so glad God put you here. Love wow. you, Courtney. And I give and I take that to you. Didn't cost me, and it didn't even cost me a stamp if I took it to them. But at the most, it cost me a stamp if I mailed it to them, yeah. and uh, and a piece of paper and the ink. No cost to that. So I think one of the one of the best ways that we can do that is finding ways like that that don't cost any money to show appreciation. Because if people haven't been getting a lot and they're in a uh, context that's limited in terms of finances, then a note will seem like a very big deal yeah. to them. 
and the fact that I took my time to write it. You know, one of the things that I did when the COVID um, crisis hit was I just got lists of folks and I just sat down from my personal email and just started. I took, I took it, it was like an Excel sheet with just names, names, names. names. Mm. And I would try to go through 40, 50 names a night and I just say, hey, and, and these, this particular group was a group of high capacity givers. I just wrote them a note, hey, they want to say I love you, I appreciate you, and just want to get anything I can pray about. And they they'd send me back a wow, is this really you? <laughs> you know, wow. I, I, <laughs> yeah, it, it really is me. But I, yeah, I got a couple things. They'd send me a couple prayer requests and I'd send them a note back saying, Hey, I got your note. I'm gonna be praying with you about your cousin and about uh, and about your family back home. I'm gonna be lifting them up this week. And uh it made all the difference and it made all the difference in the world. So there are things like that that don't cost anything, but except time. And yep. that's the one thing when I don't have any money, I can always afford to give my time. So good. Something so uh, apparently small can mean something so big. Somebody's heart. Yeah. Yep. So good. Hey, I have one more question before uh, we share some good news with everybody about how they can get their hands on your book uh, 4C leadership. Here's the last question. Uh, we were talking a little bit, you were talking a little bit about the last C, which is contingency, how sometimes some people might think, you know, some people might over spiritualize and think that that's not a, you know, contingency doesn't align, but can you give some examples of how contingency thinking can actually be a positive thing? Absolutely. Now I thought about Acts chapter two and the contingency plan because none of the disciples were expecting the kind of response that they got the hmm. first day they stood up to pray. Uh, so, so they get thousands of people. And since we know oftentimes in the New Testament, they don't even count the kids mm -hmm. or even the ladies. Mm -hmm. So what was 3,000 is probably 10,000 mm -hmm. or 12,000 that all come in. So what's the contingency plan for that? Well, I'm sure they didn't have one on their iPad, but <laughs> immediately they says, okay, you're going to go home with so-and-so. You guys break bread over here. You guys sit over here. You get over here. And suddenly a contingency plan broke out and small groups were born and people just started being together, working together because of this wasn't Peter's plan. His plan was to get up and say something that he hoped might help a couple people or at least keep them from killing him. Like they killed Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and then instead of getting killed for the message or getting threatened to be killed, they were mobbed by people who wanted the same faith that they had. So where's the contingency in that? The contingency is, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, we've never done this before. Uh, let's, just get people go because we don't have a big building. Let's just get people going to people's houses and getting taught and they can eat there and they can do prayer there and, and every and they can do and miracles can happen there. And it all happens. It's it's contingency. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, something as simple as the emergency plan for if something happens in the building, how do we get out? Who's in charge? Mm -hmm. uh, what's our what's our response? Who calls nine one one? Uh, who make sure that the children are okay. Those kinds of things are contingency plans. They are the plans that's based on fortuitousness or a happening that was not planned 
properly planned for or maybe could not have been planned for, but yet we knew that because there's a possibility, we need to have some type of plan just in case. My succession plan is contingency planning because I'm not always going to be here. Don't know exactly how long that's mm. going to be. But here's what we do know. You are leaving at some point. <laughs> that's what we know. <laughs> so, so if we are leaving at some point, then let's plan for that and put a contingency plan in place so that we're ready for it. COVID-19, oh, that's going to be over in 60 days. Mm. If it's not, <laughs> what are you guys going to do? <laughs> Is there a contingency plan for that? So what I've discovered virtually is that contingency planning does not in any way bespeak a lack of faith or trust in God. It's an admission that I'm not God. Right. So I don't, so I don't know everything. And so I have to plan for some things that I don't necessarily know exactly what's going to happen. I like that a lot. So a, co a contingency plan is is remembering I'm not God. And that's why I have to have some things in place and I have to ask the Lord to give me wisdom. I love that. Hey, yeah. this has been such a great uh, time, Courtney. I think uh, everybody who's listening, watching this right now uh, is so blessed. And, and I want to just take advantage right now and let everybody know that you can get the 4C Leadership book. Remember I said at the beginning, part of Avail Leadership, we are a Christian leader brand. We want to provide resources that are going to bless every leader and any leader, but we especially are targeting people that love God and people that love people. And so you can get 4C Leadership book for free. I know that that doesn't sound right. It sounds like it doesn't make sense. Courtney, I know that some people might think we're going crazy right now. But if you go to availleadership.org forward slash 4C, I'm going to say that one more time, availleadership.org forward slash 4C, you're going to be able to get the book for free. And the reason it is, is because we have people who love God and who love leaders, and we want to get this book in your hands. Now, the... Um, the, here's the deal. All you got to do is go to availleadership.org forward slash 4C and say, I want to get my free book, 4C Leadership. The only thing you're going to have to cover is the shipping, okay? But you're going to have an option, and I'm going to highly encourage this option. I think we've been added value today. Uh, Bishop Courtney McBath has brought some great value to us in this conversation, and let me tell you, not only is the book good, you can actually upgrade to the Masterclass Bundle. And let me tell you what it includes. It includes not only the book, but it has a companion study guide, which is going to be a great way to kind of document what you're learning as you're reading through the book. Also, here we go. Drum roll. Masterclass videos, 12-part online video course. And just as engaging and um, optimistic and uh, uh, encouraging as Courtney has been here on this conversation, on this podcast, that's, it, that's how the videos are. And so the masterclass upgrade is going to include the book, the study guide, the 12-part uh, video course, uh, and it's just a powerful resource uh, that we want to place in your hands. This is our heart at Avail Leadership. And so uh, every month, again, at Avail Leadership, we're coming out with new leadership books and resources. And right now, we are highlighting uh, the book by Courtney McBath, 4C Leadership, Lessons Learned from the COVID 
crisis. Courtney, this has been so good. I think we could be here, honestly, for some more time, but we're going to wrap it up. What are, what are some last words, uh, last nuggets of wisdom you want to throw out to everybody who's listening? Well, you know, the thing that I love about God and leading and adding value to people is that when crisis hits, God does his greatest work. You know, I've often said in the middle of chaos is another thing. In the middle of chaos <laughs> is when God really shows out. So because he gets honor and he gets glory. And I just want to say to folks, you know, we're, we're in a crisis and there'll be more crises as we go through our leadership journey. But, but the God that we serve, his book was written in crisis. If you, when you read scripture, you'll find that 95% of the time that what's actually recorded, and we know more happened than what's recorded, but most of what's recorded is happening in crisis. Esther's in crisis. Nehemiah is in crisis. The world is in crisis. In, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's crisis everywhere. It's God's way of saying, hey, guys, I got this. In crisis, we're good. You just learn how to understand your context, communicate to people you're trying to reach, collaborate with other folk and don't try to do it all yourself, <clears throat> and, and have a plan in case the plan that you think is the plan doesn't quite work out. Have another one, just, just in case. Um, I decided, God, just in case I decided to do it another way. I, I really believe that God amazingly is blessing the churches growing around the world during this crisis. And I hate the loss of life and everything that we've seen that has saddened our hearts and broken our hearts. But I love the fact that God does not give up on us in crisis and he doesn't stop moving in crisis. So the, the, the book's values while born and birthed in crisis will help you wherever you are, even if you don't feel like you're in a crisis. Because as I love to tell people, may not be a crisis for you. It may be a crisis for somebody else. <laughs> so good. So good. Hey, uh, Courtney, thank you so much for taking this time uh, to not only answer some questions, but to bring some great wisdom, practical leadership advice. Uh, this means a lot to myself, to all the leaders that are connecting and uh, listening to this podcast, watching uh, this video. What a, what a blessing it is. Thank you so much to, to you. We, we just honor you and your family uh, and your church for all the things that you've done, that you're doing, and that you're going to continue to do. And I want to thank everybody who's taken some time to connect with us. We hope that this is added value to your life and to your leadership. Uh, again, that's our heart at Avail Leadership to bring quality, practical uh, leadership resources that are going to make uh, a difference, that are going to bless your life, bless your organization, bless your leadership. Uh, on behalf of the Avail Leadership team, my name is Virgil Sierra, your Avail Leadership media host. It's been a pleasure connecting with you. We'll catch you next time here at Avail Leadership Podcast. Didn't you enjoy that conversation with Bishop Courtney McBath? Leading in the midst of crisis isn't easy, but if you begin to leverage the power of context, collaboration, communication, and contingency, you'll set yourself up for great leadership success, even in the worst circumstances. You can get your free copy of 4C Leadership today at availleadership.org forward slash 4C. Again, availleadership.org forward slash 4C. You can also learn more about other Avail offers at availleadership.org. Thank you so much for connecting with us here at the Avail Leadership Podcast.